What would you do if you could do anything? I'm Elena and welcome to The Purpose Effect, conversations with women who have found their purpose and are building the lives they always wanted. We talk about fear, failure, what success really means, and how to develop the belief that you can. If you are looking to dive into your purpose, these stories will definitely inspire you to take the plunge. Today, I'm talking to Frankie Turner Shake, founder and creator of Frankitas, a collection of beautiful handbags that celebrate traditional Asian textiles. Frankie invites me to have our chat in her new home away from home, Bungalow 18 by Frankitas. Bungalow 18 is a place to connect, recharge, and shop a curated selection of local brands, and is a dream 15 years in the making. Frankie and I talk about cultivating the belief that you have no choice but to succeed, the meaning of wealth, and how to reap the rewards of community and collaboration in business. Thank you for having me here, Frankie, in this amazing space. Uh, Being here in Bungalow 18, it feels almost like Frankitas has grown up. It is. That's correct. You're absolutely right. It's a matured version of... Frankitas, and we've grown up. It's a 2.0 version. And I think it was meant to happen this way because if we didn't, um, Frankitas, we could have carried on the way we did. But you see, Gaia and I, my best friend, who's also my business partner, um, it's always been a long dream of ours to create a a space in a bungalow, in a big bungalow with a massive garden to create a retail event, uh, to create a retail space, but as well as F&B, as well as fitness, as well as family barbecues, bespoke events. We've talked about it for years. We've talked about it, I think, for the last at least 15 years. Um, So the opportunity sort of came in the last year. Uh, In fact, probably the last four or five months when Frankitas was sort of forced to move out of our exist uh, for our, uh, our space because the owner wanted to sell it. And uh, when he sold it, we didn't really have that much time or notice to move out. So I guess, you know, this is me kind of uh, talking about, you know, sometimes you, you think you're in a bit of a challenge, you're in a bit of a dilemma, but if you believe in silver linings and if you believe in optimism and, and if your head wants to be positive, you can really see that there is a silver lining behind every challenge and behind every dilemma. Yeah. Um, so when we were forced to move out of Frankitas, of, co- of course, I didn't see it as an opportunity for us to grow, to, to have Bungalow 18 and a mature version. Yeah. It did. And when we were forced, that's when I realized, hang on, it's either make or break. So I'm going to, with my partner, create a new, bigger, better space. Yeah. Um, so coming back to this house was for rent, it was an opportunity for us. And we basically used that opportunity to grow. Yeah. Scary, daunting, risky, crazy. Yeah. But I think, and especially now with the current economy, with the current global pandemic, um, my husband thinks I'm mad. Um, quite a few people think we're mad. But I think 
the world is already a mad place. Yeah. Why don't we turn it into a, a positive mad in the long run? Yes, yeah. we can't fully operate right now, especially the F&B, the events and the fitness part. Um, but, you know, there is always going to be a light Yeah. And um, it's dark at the moment, but I see light. And you, as an entrepreneur, you have to see light. Yeah. Um, and I, I do see that light. Um, so when that light appears, that's when we start to run again and yeah. sprint. sprint. Um, right now, we're walking I love that. gently. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what was life like before Frankitas? What inspired this shift? Um, I was a mom. Yeah. Um, I was a mom of, I still am obviously, uh, three, uh, three children. Um, I was, I've been in corporate for a long time. I started corporate in, as soon as I left uni. Mm -hmm. What part of corporate life? Publishing. I was always in publishing, um, did editorial, mm -hmm. um, and then worked to reporting and then the marketing and the branding side of publishing, which I love. Um, so I've always been in that line. Mm -hmm. But as you know, being a mother and especially with three children and no help uh, helper in the house, it's, it's very challenging to balance both full-time corporate and both full-time mom. And yeah. I like to have my cake and eat it too, you see. Um, I wanted to have both balance. I wanted to be uh, a good mom and well, the best mom I could, but I also want to have a career. And I understand for me personally, anyway, I have to have both because one way or the other, I, I can't, I, I just cannot. And, um, I, I, I quit corporate because I wanted to really focus on my children because they were so young at the time and they were, it's the best time you know, to be a mom when they're that young and they give you so much love and cuddles. And um, so I wanted to enjoy that. And I did. Um, but so when my children were in nursery and kindergarten and school, I, I wanted to kind of reignite uh, a bit of my career again. But I, I knew I didn't want to go back to corporate because as well, personally for me, it just doesn't work. Um, the flexibility just wasn't there. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And I wanted to create my own uh, brand. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to be the boss of my time. Right. Um, I think that's the most important thing about starting your own business. It's to have power over your time. Mm -hmm. Not so much money, but it's that. Yeah. You know, again, going back to I want to have a balanced life, mom, wife, and career. And in order for that to happen, you kind of have to create your and direct your own film, which yeah. is your life and right. your career. Write your own story. Yeah. So I wanted, so I created my own narrative and my own story. And that's when I pretty much created Frankitas seven years ago. So the name Frankitas, it's Frankie, your name, and Tas, which is bags. So you started with bags. Why bags? What was it about bags? Were you trying to find a product that wasn't in the market or were, was it just for the love of textiles? I think it's a combination of different, different things. Uh, one, I am a bit of a hoarder with textile, especially traditional textile 
because I'm Indonesian, um, I grew up in West Java and there's abundance in West Java is very well known for arts and craft and our batik. And um, so I wanted to pay tribute to my heritage, the Indonesian heritage. So when I started Frankitas, it was purely, I just used batik and ikat. Okay. Because those are the two synonymous text, traditional textiles uh, that originated from Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Uh, bit biased, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we started with those two textiles, and I only used Indonesian ikat to, to start off with. Um, I did have some um, Central Asian ikat, but predominantly Indonesian ikat. So I, my aunt and I cut them all up and made it into bags. Coming back to your question, I think bags because um, it's. I've always been a bit of a, a bag lady. I've been a. I was a you know a bag lady. Uh, I loved my bags and I loved my shoes. So a combination of my love for bags, combination of my love for traditional textile, a combination of my, uh, I, I suppose, uh, being patriot to Indonesia, all that. I created Frankitas. But obviously, we uh, went on to use a lot of other textiles like Songket and, um, you know, Indonesian uh, Rang Rang. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we, you know, seven years, after seven years, we use different, different textiles from different parts of Asia, not just Indonesia and Malaysia. So it's Cambodia, Indonesia, Malaysia, um, and Uzbekistan. Okay. Now, that's not to say that's the only countries that we're going to be working with. We would like to work with other weavers around the world, um, you know, and and create, you know, opportunities, but also, you know, communicate the different, different heritage and not just this region. Um, so that's that's the plan. And how did you go from the decision to celebrate uh, traditional textiles to launching your first collection? So when we first we first started, I think uh, we made about ten or twelve pieces, um, showed them to my friends, and they bought. Uh, you know, invited them over for dinner, and they came to see it. They bought, and then so we made more. We made about I don't know twenty, thirty pieces, and then there was bazaars back then was really really popular. Um, and so we did some bazaars and they sold pretty well and so we created more and more and more and more. And I realized like there is something to be said about what we were doing. We were doing something right. And um, I think after about a year of doing things at home and my bedroom uh, becoming a warehouse and a storeroom, the husband did say, hey, excuse me, um, when, when is this coming out of our bedroom? It yeah, looks like a... St- yeah. And um, so there was an opportunity, uh, and I drove by a house that was very, very close walking distance from my children's um, school, mm-hmm. rent. And it was a nice house. And so I decided maybe I should move out and, you know, create a proper business out of this mm-hmm. and do things properly. Yeah. Um, what do you mean by doing things properly? So it was about time for me to have a system and a structure in place within the business. So that was the first step in, like, taking it serious. Um, 
having more responsibilities, essentially, and having operational cost. Yeah. Which was really scary as a first step to like, oh, so let's, 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 let's do this. Um, but anyway, I did pay the deposit and cringe and fingers crossed, let's do this. And I never turned back. And I think that's one of the lessons that I probably learned is when you, when I signed that document, uh, the lease agreement and paid the deposit, I said, okay, um, I've done this and I have a responsibility, um, salaries, rent, utilities, uh, etc. There is no option but to succeed. There is no option to fail here. And that's always been my motto, I think. When I want to do something, I want to do it right. And I want to wait. I don't want to look back and question and procrastinate. Did I do the right thing? Because that doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't do you any good mm-hmm. um, as, as, as an entrepreneur. You have to be decisive and you just got to go with your, don't question yourself and don't look back. Um, and I haven't looked back since. Obviously, along the way, sometimes you question some of your decisions and did I make good decisions all the way? No, absolutely not. Um, Did I make some silly decisions? Yes, absolutely. But, you know, I think as an entrepreneur, you have to learn and you have to learn quite quickly on your your feet. I think mistakes are inevitable, but it's really how you manage your mistakes and what you do after. That's the most important and crucial part. Um, Again, you know, seven years, uh, we're fast forwarding seven years from Frankitas to Bungalow 18 now, when I was pretty much kicked out of the Frankitas space, I had to decide very, very quickly on what I was going to do, what was going to be next. And like I said at the beginning, you know, those challenges and potential dilemmas that you think in your head is actually a positive thing. You just have to decide that it is going to be great and positive. And when you think and you visualize that it's going to be great and you see the future, that's what you're going to do it. You know, of course, it's very early days yet. You know, (laughs) the future hasn't really happened. But step by step, gently, now we're open. Um, so. So I just want to talk about two things that you've just said there which is you've mentioned that the most important thing is learning Mm -hmm. from your mistakes and also that failure was not an option. Mm -hmm. Now, we can't talk about growth really without acknowledging the failures or the speed bumps in the road. Is there something looking back that you would have done differently if you were to do it all over again? Yes. Um, I think the most significant part I was asked um, a few days ago and it made me think, And I said straight away, with no hesitation, I would have gotten an investor. Because when you have the capital, and when you don't have to think about capital, then you can really execute your vision to the full extent. When you don't have the full capital, you're always going to be, your execution is is not complete. Because you're thinking, oh, but I don't have the money to do that. You know what I mean? Now, you need a team in order to grow your business. And I think that's where we lacked in. 
um, you know, my, my vision w- uh, for Franquitas was, was greater than what it is now. Yeah. And I don't mean to be like the richest and the biggest brand, not at all, mm-hmm. not at all. Um, you know, it, my vision was to have a Franquitas, different, different boutiques in right. the, di- the different regions, you know. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I achieved that because I didn't have the capital um, if I had the capital, I would have hired a lot more um, people and build a strong team. And I didn't build a strong, well, not enough right. to execute my vision. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the most significant lesson that I learned. So now with Bungalow 18, we're talking to a couple of investors who want to pump money in into our business, which is great because... Um, I'm glad I, I had and have Frankitas and that lesson to learn from um, because now I know speaking with my partner, yes, we definitely want a, an investor to pump, to invest in our vision so that we could uh, really strategize and manage and not be so much on the micro operational side. We can think macro. Right. You know, um, and that's, I think, the biggest issue with starting a business is doing everything yourself because you're trying to save every dollar as much as possible, Uh, which is good. You kind of have to be frugal and you have to be able to manage your finances. Mm -hmm. That is so important in running a business. And you can't just call yourself a creative and not be able to balance your numbers because then it will flop, right? Yeah. But um, again, uh, capital is important. And if you have somebody who's willing to invest in you, take it. Yeah, I've actually heard that time and time again from other entrepreneurs. If you have the opportunity to use somebody else's money to grow your business, take it. Uh, The other thing you said that I want to dive into a little bit deeper is you've talked about having a vision and then manifesting that vision. But how do you do that practically? How do you stay on target? Because many people have big ideas, but not everybody is able to execute them. Yeah. I think the most practical and pragmatic way to look at manifesting positivity is um, the principle of you have no choice but to succeed. Mm -hmm. I will always go back to that. And you have no choice to fail. Um, you know, it's the first thing you should say to yourself, not anybody else. And, and I think that's the other lesson. You're not here to prove to anybody. If you make a decision based on everybody around you, what they would think, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. Uh, you shouldn't start your own business. You need to be honest and, and ask yourself the hard-hitting question. Just yourself. Can you afford to fail? Absolutely not. Do you want to fail? Of course not. Do you want to su- succeed? Absolutely. And I know that's like, it sounds very, um, it's easier said than done. Yeah. But like I said, the principle and the value you say to yourself that you have no option to fail. The only option is to succeed. 
Once you ingrain and condition that and plant that in your head, you will. That's the first step. It is the only formula I go by. So once I do that, everything um, takes place. And that's when you work hard, you're disciplined, you're focused. You know what I mean? That, that comes along with it. But yeah. the first thing is telling yourself and ingraining that in your head. But I think another part of it is having a good product, right? You have a really good product and you've managed to tap into what people really want. Not necessarily. I, I, th- this is the thing, I think. Um, you know, I, I always say Frankitas isn't for everybody. Okay. It's very niche. Um, you know, a lot of people are not into Frankitas and that's okay. And that's the other lesson that you don't have to please everybody. You don't have to cater to everybody. If you, if you, you have to create your own niche and it's up to you what message you want to create and communicate to the, to the demographics. Like you need to identify who your demographics are, who your tribes are. Um, and once you identify them, then you build yourself a, you start with the brand. But, you know, I, that doesn't mean I, I don't uh, uh, disagree with you like you, you have a product. I think, yes, I had a product and I, I believed in my product. So again, it's going back to who you are as a person and the belief yeah. and not questioning it. And of course, there will be questions at the beginning. Oh, am I doing this right? Or will people like it? Yes, of course. That's part and parcel of starting. But there comes to a point where you're like, okay, that's it. I've made a decision. It's a good product. And it's a product I am going to sell and, and, and brand. Yeah. You know? And how did you find your tribes, as you call them, your people, the like-minded people who your brand really resonated with? I think it's important when you start um, going back to capital and finances. When you have um, capital, it's great. And I think, so the pros of me not having a, an investor back then and, and having, not having an abundance, not abundance, but enough capital is doing things on my own. So I, I, I'm just a very hands-on person. Um, and I don't mind and I have no issues getting my hands dirty. That means like even as small as cleaning the gallery's toilet, you know, I, I, I will do that with no hesitation. Um, And I think the good thing about being fully hands-on is also having direct communication and interpersonal relationship with your consumers. I think that's important um, because you are getting to know them. You're getting to know who they are as a person, Um, not just in terms of age and sex, but also what they like, what they don't like, what's their passion, What do they do for a living? Are they a mother or how old are their children? That gives you a a damn good idea who you're selling to, the kind of demographics that you need to sell to. 
you know, and you build upon that. And so you see patterns when you speak to your customers directly, right? Um, their likes and their attitude, their behavior, their personality. I mean, it's not always accurate, but there is a, a generic um, pattern yeah. to the women that you're selling with. It's interesting that you say that because we were talking earlier about when I bought my first Frankitas. Thank you for your support. <laughs> and I remember it very clearly because when I picked up that bag, you looked at me and you said, oh, I knew you would pick that one. And you asked me a lot of questions about my life, uh, whether I had kids, what I did for work. And I didn't realize it at the time. I, I thought you were just being friendly, but you were trying to figure out your customer and figure out patterns between them. It's almost like the analog version of what the big yeah. digital marketing companies are yeah. doing now. It's. I don't think it's. Um, I. It makes me smile that you you say all those things because I'm thinking. Oh, um, I'm getting quite emotional now. Um, it's. I think it's a great process to go through because not only are you trying to get to know your demographics, but I think I love getting to know people generally. Obviously, I, um, especially if they are just easy and warm and personable people, that's always easy, you know. Um, but I enjoy that. I really Really, I'm just a curious person. Not so much about, you know, politics or... I'm generally curious about who you are as a person. You know, what are your likes and what are what you don't like. And, and also for me, it's, it's not just learning about the business and the product and who likes my product, but just learning about people in general, personally as well. Because while you do that, you learn so much about yourself too. Yeah. You know, um, I think knowledge is, you know, uh, we call it riziki, right? And riziki is, um, is wealth. And for me, wealth doesn't just translate to finance. Wealth means knowledge and the amount of friends and family that you have and yeah you know experience wealth of experience all of that and i think as an entrepreneur if you see those things those wealth and getting to know your customer as riziki as a form of wealth not just so much in your business because a lot of the 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 customers that i had met over the years have become really good friends and again they didn't just bring wealth of finance into the business, but they've really fulfilled me personally in, in my head, in my mind, and in my heart. And, and if you can see that process, that learning process, and that, that knowing you are gaining wealth from knowledge and, and friendship. Yeah, it's hugely powerful. It's very powerful. You've also talked a lot about celebrating communities with your product and community is coming much more to the fore with Bungalow 18, which is also a community space. What does it mean to be a community-driven business? Um, so the idea of a community and tribe comes from really how I was brought up and you know this about me. Um, 
I was brought up in a village in West Java in Indonesia. Like a, it was a very poor village. Um, we are, you know, we're known for our farms. Uh, Bogor is very well known for its agriculture. In, in Bogor, yeah. And, um, yeah. And so um, we are known for our agriculture. And anyway, in the village that I was brought up in that village, and I keep saying this because it's, it's so true, it takes a, a village to raise a child. And I was literally a product of that quote. It was the entire kampung uh, people within the village that raised me because back then my mother was a single mother and she was fending for her entire family, money-wise. Um, you know, she had 13 siblings and her mom, my grandmother, my grandfather, they were, a farm, they were farmers, but also my grandfather was an object guy. Okay. So... There was no opportunities then, and the only opportunity was to be a farmer, and we had very little land, so we didn't have money. But the good thing about being in, in the kampung and not having um, that many opportunities is, is we live uh, and thrive amongst each other and, and one another, supporting one another, you know, um, and the um, the amount of women, when I go back to the same village, and my mom still lives in that village, um, who have asked, uh, who have said to me, oh, do you remember me breastfeeding you? Well, no, no, I don't. <laughs> but there was a lot of women that breastfed me because my mom worked in Jakarta. Um, so I only got to see her like once every two weeks or sometimes once a month when she's too busy, right? Because yeah. back then, Jakarta and Bogor was quite a distance. And um, and my mom had to go back to work, and so she couldn't breastfeed me. So my <laughs> the women in the village breastfed me. No, there's no such thing as formula back then. You know, it's very traditional. Yeah, we couldn't afford formula, and and these women happily, you know, breastfed me because it was just what you do. You know, you help others, and that spirit was ingrained yeah i think that sense of community and supporting each other is very clear mm -hmm. in what you are trying to do here with the bungalow 18 brand yeah and the number of mainly women-owned businesses that you are bringing together under this roof you've always been so supportive of other women in business so can you tell me yeah. a little bit more about the brands you've brought together here and what the vision is for bungalow 18 um you know I think especially now, uh, it, it's hard, it's very hard and trying times for any business, not only in Malaysia, but around the world, um, especially in retail. Yeah. Um, a lot of businesses has had to have shut down um, and some are struggling. And, and I think more so than ever now, it's important for synergies, partnerships, collaborations and integrations if there are rooms and um, roles to play amongst um, in different different brands there should be you know there is no room for competition at the moment yeah. there's only room for collaboration and synergies there's enough pie for everybody 
I mean, I know, oh, sorry. Um, I say that, I mean, the, the pies, there is, there is enough pie for everybody, but it's really how you, you see it. And that's why I think collaborations and partnerships are important because you don't have to reinvent the wheels. You're using current wheels that, that work and still rolling forward. And if you see that opportunity and take advantage of the current wheels, then you will grow with that uh, and you will ride together. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you can also identify little, little, um, um, little not mistakes um because you've because i've been doing it for seven years i already see what you should and you shouldn't do and if i can give you an advice earlier on and say how you know try and avoid that because i i i did that and it was a bit you know um if you can avoid that then you don't have to spend this amount of time and this amount of money little things like that and I think Bungalow 18 is a platform for different different brands to grow together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important, and not just in terms of brand curation, and, and we use the brand curations a lot. Um, and I don't mean that in terms of aesthetics. Um, I also mean that in terms of values, like business and ethics and brand values. Like I, my partner and I want to work with brand owners who believe not only in our vision, but who, uh, who believe that they can benefit from, you know, our collaboration and integration. But also I think um, ethics and values, yeah. you know, it, it goes beyond um, the marketing and the sales within Bungalow 18. I think... Post-COVID, um, I see and I envision for all the different different brands here in-house, I would like to help them penetrate other markets and not just necessarily within Bangalore 18. You know, if they need help, um, introduction in going into hotels, um, in different different resorts, because, you know, in Frankitas, we've, we've done that. And if they need potential distributors outside and if there's ways we can help them, then let's do it, yeah. you know, um, because everybody benefits, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and as I said, knowledge is power and riziki is power. And if you can share your riziki, again, not just finance, but time, knowledge and resources, it will come back. Um, towards you like karma what goes around comes um, around no I don't I, as much as I believe in karma I think for Riziki for every wealth you share you get back the wealth in other ways not necessarily the same way but in other ways yeah so in this post-COVID world what is the new retail model going to look like do you think um Everybody's going online. Uh, that's obvious, right? And it's natural. It's a natural progression. Having um, said that, even though I do believe in going digital and going online, I am still a traditionalist. Um, I'm not necessarily a, um, a, a trend follower. Um, I'm practical. Um, if I see uh, certain trends that are practical, I will take it and use 
but I won't, you know, um, always go by trend. I will also, I question it, whether it's logical or pragmatic. Um, and then I don't always just think short term. I'm always thinking long term, constantly thinking long term. And I think you have to. Um, I, while everybody's going and going heavy on digital and Again, we, we need to do a bit more digital as well. I am thinking long-term beyond post-COVID that I, because I'm a traditionally, traditionalist and I think because I was grown into this very tight community space in the village and I think as a human being, I follow my instinct and I follow my heart. It's very romantic of me to say this. I think I'm a bit romantic, but I also believe in in being a human first. And that what that means personally to me is using your senses and going back to basic and using your senses. As a human being, we love to touch and we love to hear and we like to have that interpersonal connection with people and human beings. And I think that is important to me as a business owner and as an as an entrepreneur to have that interpersonal relationship with your customers. And that's why we built, we're building Bungalow 18 to have that human connection exist and stronger, yeah. you know, which is very the opposite of digital and e-commerce, um, which is the opposite direction of where everybody else is going. But for me, it's important. It's very very important. I want to have that interaction and I want families and children to come to this space and feel safe and happy, you know, um, and warm. And that's why we call it the second home. Yeah. The home away from home. Correct. You've been pretty open about how the life of an entrepreneur is not necessarily glamorous and particularly someone working in fashion and accessories, which you would mm-hmm. think would be very glamorous. Um, you also said you came into this looking for balance. Have you found it? Um, is your life more balanced? Are you working harder than you ever have before? Very, very, very good question. And, and very timely question. That is something that I have been thinking of in the last couple of days. Um, Personally, I have had to dig deep. Um, And to be honest, um, I don't think it's very balanced at the moment um, because, yes, I have been working very, very, very hard. I, I think in the last few weeks, I wake up a lot earlier than how I used to. you know, my children are not in physical school, so I don't really have to wake up that early because they're not waking up that early either. But I do wake up earlier and I start my day earlier because Bungalow 18 is, you know, is a new business. It's a baby and, you know, is the same principle. When you have a new baby, you wake up earlier, you put in more time and effort. And that's what's happening now for Bungalow 18. I feel that I need to give it more time and I need to be more productive Um, but you know when that happens sometimes as a mother and as a wife certain things got to give 
And I feel right now, I mean, I, and I question, and I have to be very honest and very brutally transparent. Um, it makes me choke asking myself this question. I think there is an imbalance at the moment with me spending a bit more time at home. Yeah. Uh, I think I should spend a little bit more time at home. Um, and I think now I can, this week I can, because, you know, I, I finished scrubbing the floors and, and mopping and, and jetting the walls and I finished gardening the garden and it, all those things needed to happen in, in order for me now for, for things to flow and to work better and smoother. So now I can focus again being at home with my children. And I think MCO is a fantastic way to do that. It forces you, I mean, you shouldn't be forced. I'm sorry to say that, but it's natural that, you know, again, it's part and parcel of being human. You sometimes forget that your senses need to take priority. And those senses is like cuddling your children and reading to them and eating with them, cooking with them. And um, so that's what I want to focus on this week and less of bungalow 18. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in these moments in your life where you feel like you need to dig a little mm. bit deeper, are there certain people in your life that you lean on? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, again, I'm very, very lucky to have um, such amazing tribe of women um, and friendship um, all over the world. And, you know, there are certain women that you, you know, although that we're, we're all very, very close, there are certain women who you just know, okay, she's bloody practical and logical. So when you, um, when you question yourself about, oh, when sometimes you're unsure, right, of certain decision, especially in the personal decisions, you ask a certain person who's more, maternal and who's more homebody hey what do you think you know me better than anybody else is do you think there is an imbalance here or can you please give me some input and they will give it to you straight up and that's what I love about my friends there's no like hanky-panky they just tell tell me as it is no Frank you're being stupid damn stupid or Frank's you're being too nuts or Frank's you're just working too hard just step back a little bit you know, or no, you're being a bit of a lazy, lazy girl. <laughs> they tell it that is so. Yeah, absolutely. There are certain and specific um, people that I go to for different different things, as you do. Yeah. And just to finish, um, is there one piece of advice or one lesson that you would give to mm. women um, who are looking mm -hmm. to start a business with purpose? There's a lot of different th different things, I suppose, and I think it's. Uh, I think I've spoken to you about it, um, some of the, uh, the big things. Yeah. Uh, if you have an opportunity and if you're given an opportunity for somebody to invest in your business, it means that they believe in your business. And if they want to pump money in, take it. Yeah. Definitely take it. Don't do what I did. Um, I was very, I think I was pretty romantic about the idea of going into business because it's my baby. I didn't really, I think I was very scared to have somebody who would just 
think of the numbers and not, and uh, I think minimizing the value of the impact of the business and that's creating different communities of weavers and the the social impact part of it. That was my biggest concern. Um, but uh, being too romantic about things like that also means that you know, you are not giving people the benefit of the doubt. Well, maybe they do. Um, So, yes, get an investor. Yep. Thank you so much, Frankie, for your time and your honesty and your generosity in sharing your knowledge and your experience. And I'm definitely looking forward to spending a lot more time at Bungalow 18 by Frankie Tuss. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me in my conversation with Frankie. What I love most about Frankie is her honesty. She reminds us that seeking purpose, seeking autonomy, and certainly building a business is really hard work. And those of us on the outside usually only see the successes. But staying the path is a challenge. And if you believe that there is no choice but to succeed, you will find that it gives way to growth and Rizuki. Rizuki.